Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. Okay, apparently we're live on YouTube, and maybe this time people can hear, which is very exciting. And also, even much more exciting is that Reese is back. Reese is here, um, Man United fan. Reese, the last time we spoke was before the preseason game. When I was full of confidence and you were full of trepidation and you ended up hammering us 4-0 or whatever it was, right? That's, that's and, right. And I I can, I don't know. In terms of my confidence, I'm still confident, but I'm a lot less confident now that Tiago is out, especially along with, you know, seven other injuries or whatever we've got. We've got tons of injuries, mm-hmm. uh, but Tiago's the big one. So I'm, I'm definitely not as confident but you must be, I don't know, is it a surprise to you how bad you've been? I won't, I won't lie to you. I am very worried about going into this game. I thought like the first two games of the season, I thought we would have seen something like a good start. Like I know, I know preseason, I know preseason means nothing, but we were, we were playing really well. We were playing some really good football. And then all of a sudden, Martial gets injured. Sancho goes out of form. Ronaldo's saga builds up and it's to the point where it's dominating United, not the manager and all that. And it's it's creeped in. There's other things behind the scenes, like the ownership situations finally come to light. Other media are finally realising that actually maybe my United fans weren't being so crazy all along. Like there are so many problems and we're so abject in the transfer market. We've only just made four signings. Eric Baez now went to uh, Olympic Lyonnais on loan with an option to buy. That's been confirmed this, uh, this morning. But in terms of the league, I thought we would do a little bit better in terms of the football. We've looked very abject. We've looked very weak. And we haven't done enough. Certain players are still falling into old habits. And I know you guys haven't had a great start to the season. I mean, two points from a possible six. But I've, I spoke to Doug the other day and I just think Liverpool's problem is a bar of the injuries. Is you've looked a little naive in front of goal, like in certain situations, like certain players who you would think would bury their chances have looked very naive. We, on the other hand, have not done anything in front of goal. We can't even build up the play. And if, if we don't score against if we don't score against Liverpool, our goal of the month is obviously McAllister's own goal that was absolutely funny against Brighton. So I think that's I think that's a telling story of just how worried I am but I'm not sure if we get beat against Liverpool but I think the best possible case scenario we get is a draw but I wouldn't lie like I am worried going into Monday night I won't lie I mean you've got you've got problems uh, that have been going on for for a while um you know a, a stat we were, we were talking about before um, uh, on our on our other preview show was uh, one from uh, from Google. Let me just just bring it up again. But basically, um, you've only had I think your Liverpool are unbeaten in something like twelve Premier League games, which which I was surprised about against Man United. Uh, let me just yeah. find it. Yeah, there you go. Manchester United. Sorry, Manchester United have won just one of their last twelve Premier League games against Liverpool drawing six, losing five, and are winless in eight since a 2-1 win in March 2018. The Red Devils last had a longer winless league run against an opponent between 1983 and 1987, which was 10 uh, league games without a win against Everton. That's right, yeah. 
And so it's not as if it's a new thing that this that United have been struggling. Um, we we've scored thirteen goals against you in in three matches. I mean, obviously you scored four against us in the friendly, but there's like your defence, for example, right? Harry Maguire, uh, Lotara Martinez now, um, and Luke Shaw and Diogo Dalla was your back four in the last it game. Was, it was, yeah. Like, I would swap at least three of those four. I would I would want to get rid of them. Are you, are you at the point where you just want to get rid of a ton of players, especially defenders, or are you, do you still have hope? Personally, I would start Malasia at left-back. I mm-hmm. think right. I, I would mm-hmm. give him that chance because he was he was excellent against Liverpool in the in the preseason friendly. I would I would play Malasia personally. Um, I don't trust either of our, our right backs, Dallo or Wambasaka. Both of them are not good enough. I'd rather we sold both and got two new right backs in. But at the minute, I would play Wambasaka because he gives us some defensive capability. But he hasn't played any preseason matches, so he's had wow. very little time. And I would play Varane at right side of centre back beside Lutaro Martinez. I think Maguire for. All that he brings, it's still not enough. Like, yeah, he's a good carrier of the ball and all that. Yeah, no problem with that. But up against a Liverpool team where you need to catch them with pace, you need to get stuck into them. Varane will do that. He has both qualities. Maguire doesn't have the pace factor, whereas Martinez does. It'd be covering him. I don't want my defence to cover each other. I want my defence to be in sync where they can push up high and then link up with the the midfield and the attack really well and cause problems. Without having that abundantly clear, we are in trouble. And I would also look at massively as goalkeeper. Like That's another thing for me as goalkeeper. I've got all the love and respect for David De Gea, but it's clear and simple. The goals against Brentford were purely down to him. Bar the Eriksson back heel, it's still his decision to pass the ball to Eriksson. It's just it's the same situation over and over. We really, I would, I say, only one player in that defense needs change. It needs to stay, and that's Martinez. I would change four personally. That's a very interesting point because because David de Gea, right? I mean, Ten Hag apparently has said that he's not going to change his tactics. He's not going to change his philosophy. I don't know if that's true, but compared to the Brentford game, I mean, Ericsson's rightly. Uh, getting a lot of uh, pelters, as they say, for uh, for you know not being able to to keep the ball enough. But I think part of the problem was that David de Gea was giving it to him in dangerous situations as well as Ten Hag's as per Ten Hag's tactics. And David de Gea, with the ball at his feet, has never been comfortable. Um, is it a problem for you that that Ten Hag? I mean, you know, until January, I mean, well unless something happens in the next uh, 11 days at the end of this transfer window, then you'll be stuck with De Gea um, until at least January. With Ten Hag, you know, at some point, will he have to start compromising and have to say to De Gea, you can whack it forward if you if you can't see the pass or if you're not confident in the pass, just whack it. Or, you know, is it that David De Gea is just going to have to learn really quickly to adapt to Ten Hag's tactics? I mean, what do you reckon? I'd be very surprised if Ten Hag compromises his his style of play and his philosophy for the sake of one player. I'd be very surprised. I mean, you don't see in the in the respect of it, you wouldn't see Luis Enrique doing it for his Barcelona team or the Spanish team. You wouldn't see Hansi Flick compromising if Neuer wasn't available for Germany or Bayern Munich when he managed them. He wouldn't compromise if it was Ter Stegen and goal. It'd be the same manner. You wouldn't see. Klopp, in a way, making compromises for Allison 
if Van Dyke wasn't playing the centre half, or if it was, I suppose, Kelleher or Adrian in goal, it would be the same way. And it would be the same with Pep Guardiola. If, if Ederson's not playing and it's bizarre, if for some crazy reason, it's um, Ortega starting if he has to swap it or he's playing Scott Carson, it'll be the same way. I hope to, I hope to God that he doesn't sacrifice his principles because of a goalkeeper. I hope he continues to do it. And if De Gea doesn't want to adapt, if he doesn't try to adapt, then I would play Tom Heaton over him. Like at the minute, I would. I think there's there's so many opportunities for goalkeepers. Like United could send a goalkeeper if they wanted to. I just don't know if they really aim to. But I personally wouldn't sacrifice what I want to do with my team because of one player. I would try. I would try and do things differently. I've suggested for a while, but I don't think Man United have ever listened. If De Gea wants to get better of his feet, then make De Gea play with midfielders like Eriksen. Like constantly pass the ball to them. Like, see how he is at handling timing. Like, if they pass the ball straight at him or he hands it to the, the angles on the right or the left, see how he responds by trying to get his foot in a position where he controls it. If he can't do it, then that should be another telling point where he's just never going to adapt. And he doesn't even come forward off his line, which is another issue. Like, he doesn't claim balls, which Ederson and Allison do extremely well. Even if he's not good with his feet, if he was to come forward off his line a bit more, I think United fans would be less aggressive towards him in terms of like wanting him out. I think they, I think it would be a little less if he came off his line a bit more, tried to make himself more of a presence because that's what Henderson does really well. So what other top goalkeepers do is like they, they will come forward and they're not afraid to come forward even if it's the risk of a class player chipping them like obviously Salah did against Ed, like Salah famously did against Ederson in a, a, a game against you guys. He came so far off his line confident he could beat the ball from Salah. Salah dribbled it really well and just chipped him if you have that confidence in your ability, even if you're not going to get the ball 99% of the time or etc., at least do it. I would rather De Gea came at the ball rather than cowered from it. Because he is a good goalkeeper. He's just, he's not coming into the modern era of goalkeeping, which is going to pass him by, sadly. It's like, in the nicest way, um, it's like if you're an Arsenal fan and it's 2002, David Seaman's still in goal, the man can still pull off a very good save like he did in the FA Cup final, for example, that brilliant save he did. But then he gets exposed because he doesn't he doesn't carry the ball. And then you see the difference between Jens Lehmann came into Arsenal. Jens Lehmann, like an absolute hurricane, would just run at like he would just run at strikers, try to force them off the ball. And you've got it now in the mod like modern era where like Neuer ad Neuer's got it, my nan for Milan's got it. You've got Kaylor Navas for PSG, although he's on the go, who'd be a fantastic signing for Man United, in my opinion. Courtois does it. Oblak, like, and obviously the two figureheads of Liverpool and Man City I've already mentioned, like, these goalkeepers will run at you because they know they don't have to pass the ball because they're brilliant passers. But if they can come at the goal, the striker and force a mistake, it gives the centre-backs time to get in a good position where they can just retrieve it and pick up and bomb forward. That's what I would like from De Gea personally, but I don't think he ever will. I think we really need to get a new goalkeeper in. I would put him, you might not like me for saying this, on the same level as Joe Hart now. He's been a lot better than Joe Hart in his career, but now he's sort of like, um, almost like a prime Joe Hart, because he's still a good shot stopper, David De Gea, but with his feet he's no good. Um, and, you know, the question is I mean, when Guardiola came to Man City, the first thing he did was get rid of Joe Hart. 
And you would think that Den Hag would need to do something so that De Gea would, would uh, you know, adapt, uh, you know, he, he could just go somewhere else. But the problem with that compared to Joe Hart, who left Man City to go to Burnley, if you remember, in 2018, um, is that David De Gea's got this huge contract. And yeah. it brings me on to the next topic that I want to talk about is the, the, the mismanagement that's been going on for so many years at Manchester United. Um, I don't agree with what Gary Neville said, that the owners haven't, you know, like they're supposed to plough in their own money uh, to, you know, add a loss to themselves in order to stay competitive in the Premier League, like lots of uh, owners have done, the, the sugar daddy owners have done. Um, Liverpool have lived within our means and we've got to where we are currently, which is like a really, really competitive team, you, you know, without the riches of Man City, because uh, they've spent over a billion, the Glazers, haven't they? But that's not the issue. I understand the leveraged buyout is the issue. And, Absolutely. And they, and they, yeah, I think personally, I think it should be a criminal act and, uh, you know, to 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 borrow money from the bank to buy uh, an institution like Manchester United. I mean, it's really shocking how that was allowed to happen. But yeah. the protest and 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 the things, you know, what's been going on from from Man United supporters' point of view, from from your personal point of view, and from what you've read and and seen, like what's going to happen with this this big protest? Well, I'm not sure if. I don't think the whole concept of Old Trafford being empty like the Mistala or the San Siro is going to happen. But I do think fans will continue to protest outside the grounds like as they've done. It's very more head-on. Like You see protests every single home game now. And rightly so, we're, we're not trying to completely destroy sponsors, but we are we are trying to get sponsors' attentions by telling them, like, like we don't want them associated with the club when we've got the Glazer ownership because it's it's given them what they want. It's given them more, more money to then take out and millions in dividends. Like if the Glazers like if the Glazers hadn't actually used the leverage buy and bought the club with their own money and they'd actually just instead of taking out dividends, just let the club's resources grow, but just add a little bit of money here and there in terms of like infrastructure and let the club use what it means. Like because we would generate so much money. That's what we spend our transfers on, like it's our generated money. I've got no problem with that. My problem is the amount of money they constantly take out year on year that bleeds our assets dry where we don't have the resources. I mean, like we've lost three hundred million in three years and it's it's questionable like how much money we're actually got available. And that's what struck me with recent deals, you know, like the amount of money we're actually willing to spend. So I, I don't disagree with people that we spend. I will never disagree with people that might do spend, but I think people don't realise how, whereas yourself, because obviously you're well aware of this, is we're not spending, we're not just spending money, we're spending it badly, but it's also been like, it's whatever we spend will then lead to shirt sales, which then the Glazers will then take out in dividends. They are constantly taken out of the club, which they shouldn't, they shouldn't do in the first place, whether they own the club or not. Even a timeless situation like this, where the asset is bleeding dry, you shouldn't still be draining your asset just mm -hmm. to pump up your own fortune to feed any other um, other areas you own, like an Indian cricket team or a, an American football team. You shouldn't be bleeding your like your asset dry just to f pump that in. Like that's why I've, that's the issue I've got with the Glazers. 
in that sense. And that's why I would like an owner who just comes in who will put the money that's been taken out back at the club to feed to let the asset continue to grow as it should and then still spend money what we generate. I'd be all right spending our like if we generate six seven hundred million pound a year and we spend that on transfers, I'd be okay with that. I, feel, I don't think the fans would be an issue with that either because the, the owner would just spend on the infrastructure. They'd spend on redeveloping the stadium, the training ground, which is at the minute obsolete. Improving those facilities, we could happily spend our generate our generated revenue on transfers. I don't think any Man United fan would have a problem with that. I don't, think any, I don't think any of them generally would. I know I wouldn't. I'd rather the owner just pump the money into infrastructure and the, the behind the scenes and just give the manager confidence that He's like the owners there if they need it, and also who's behind them in terms of like behind the scenes, like management level above them, are actually competent people in charge. So that's what the fans are trying to do in that sense. Even myself, like the social media presence, we are trying to get them out like one way or another. We don't want to attack sponsors physically, we're attacking them through reviews and in that manner. We're bringing it down as much as we can to get their attention, and obviously, the protests are getting them. It is getting the media attention because obviously they can't stop talking about it on Sky Sports News, etc., or even Sky Sports for a football game. I can't remember the like our last night, like our last football game where they haven't mentioned Manchester United's ownership or Manchester United fans are protesting X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? Like it's in the media now, and they've realised just what's going on. So, like what I said before, I will never argue that we don't spend money. We do, but we're not even in the top ten of like owners have actually contributed to money towards the club we're not even in the top 10 not even the top 20 they don't use their own money they're just bleeding it to fill up their own like their own fortunes which is just wrong it's just wrong i agree it's what you said it's criminal you shouldn't be allowed to buy a football club on a leverage buyout never that's very true um uh but looking at the the mismanagement in terms of a structure right yeah. to to i mean if they put a better structure in place then the results would improve and people would be a lot happier uh, because the results have been so bad, partly because of the, I mean, it's, it's, it's madness. There was, there's um, a guy on uh, called at TV Trev stats, Trevor Simmons on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I just took a screenshot of, of, of one of his uh, Twitter threads because I find it, I found it absolutely mad. And mm-hmm. um, we did, we talked about it a little bit on, cop on last week but i'm going to very quickly give you um a list of players all signed for for astronomical amounts at the time marcus rocco 16 million was a lot of money uh Di maria 60 million memphis Depay 28 million damian 13 million schneiderlin 25 mkhitaryan 26 Paul Pogba, 93, Lukaku, 90, Matic, 40, Alexis Sanchez, 67 million, Fred, 61 million, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, 50, Maguire, 80, Van der Beek, 39 million, Ahmad Diallo, 37.2 million. I had no idea until I saw that tweet how expensive he was. Sancho, 73 million, Varane, 41 million, and Lissandro Martinez is last on the list, although, of course, the jury's still out, 56.7 million. Um, the cost of a new hospital as a, is, is a stat that I often come, come back to. A new fully functioning hospital is around about 350 million uh, to build it. And then I think if you get staff and new machines on top of that, it's another about 200 million. Um, it's about that, 
that you spent on on all that all of those rubbish players but like the the but the rot at Manchester United is is like caused by the fact that every single player going to Manchester United will expect to be one on a huge wage mm-hmm. and two the clubs they know it's Manchester United so they add an extra 20 30 million uh, onto the price of these players so they're, they're, it's complicated Reese but 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 the, I don't see a way out of this I don't know if 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 you do because so many players come to United for inflated prices. So already the the pressure's on them to perform. If they don't perform, then they can sit on the bench, get the money, and you know it, it, they don't have to play with at heart. They don't particularly care about the club. The yeah. fans are pissed off, so they're shouting at the players for not being good enough to justify the price yeah. that United have paid. Um, I like. Is there a way out you can see of this? Because I, I, I don't, I don't know what it is unless you just let all of these players run out their contract, accept the fact that you might end up, you know, sixteenth in the league by the time they all leave, and then you build again with people on reasonable wages for reasonable transfers. I don't know the way out. Have you got any ideas how how you're going to get out of this vicious cycle? I've always thought that. Even though it will take a slow process, if the, say for example, it's um, I'll do it in two ways. I've, there's two there's two ways I can think of it. One is the one I'd prefer. So say for example, the Glazers sold up and we got a new owner, and say Jim Ratcliffe came in. I would like it for him if he was to actually scour the top clubs in Europe, not scour them for players, scour them from the how they actually run their clubs. So for me, like. Ideally for me, I've always wanted my United to run like Bayern Munich. I think mm-hmm. I've always said it, even, even to you on Doug's channel, I've always said for me, the best run club in Europe is Bayern Munich. The way they handle things like Rummenigge, Beckenbauer, Matthias Samar, like the way they run the club, it's they're Bayern through and through. They understand how the, how the transfer market works. They understand how the club as a history works. And even when Uli Hennis was there before he went to jail, like very good president for them, but like he's aware that like what Bayern is. Bayern is about exciting, good football that wins trophies, that has the best players and the best team, but embeds with their culture. And it's the same way they have like promoted youth players, same as Man United. Like we've got the same circumstance. Like we're not winning anything at the minute, but it's the same, it's the same manner. Real Madrid, another fantastically run club where it's top players, a top team, win trophies, but it's all about entertaining the fans. Even right now, PSG under Luis Campos' director of football, it's, it's very smart transfers to build into an organised team that's going to benefit Christoph Goldtail over over the coming years. Like, I, I would like United to do that. Say, for example, that would be my hope if the Glazers sell up and we get an owner and who actually cares about the club. If, if in the event the Glazers didn't sell, which would be horrible, but if in the event it, they didn't sell, the one thing I'd like to see is whoever is actually running things right now, like Marto and Arnold, provided they're still, I wouldn't keep them if Ratcliffe came and I would get rid of them both, but in the event that they stay in their positions, I would actually like them to challenge clubs. I don't think they've got a backbone. 
I think they're very weak in the market where they're trying to get the best deals, but then they let other clubs dominate them. And it was the same with Woodward. They just let other clubs walk all over them. If a player's worth 40 million, you pay 40 million. You don't pay 75 million. You don't let another club dominate you in the transfer market. That's why Liverpool, Man City and Chelsea are fantastic at football operation. I even give Daniel Levy credit for Spurs, like with Paratici, like two fantastic operators. They know how much a, a player's worth. They'll get the player and then you see the reward. And even in the current situation, I'd like Myrtle and Arnold to actually dominate the negotiations rather than being dominated. But if the Glazers do sell, I'd like more competent people that actually understand a club from within to do it. And it's no coincidence that Reinick was right all along about surgery and who runs the club and Van Gaal's constantly mentioned it about who runs the club like as bankers not football people that for me is the most important thing it's look to the top clubs look around you look how they run things and the best thing is it's not carbon copy but follow them all by having proper football people that can dominate this the conversation rather than being dominated Really, really interesting stuff. Um, I think that is a way. I think you're right. If just get the transfer strategy right, you know, you need maybe two, two or three real hits, world class hits. You know, th- this nonsense of signing like thirty year olds, Varane, all that kind of stuff, it's got to stop. You know, at United, you've got to start targeting. You know, the next one. You know, players who are like twenty three years old maximum. Uh, who haven't made yeah. it yet and they, they 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 want to prove themselves and they have a talent and you should go for like get a reputation for giving a chance you know spending a lot on the young players and if it doesn't work for a young player they will still have some resale value further down the line but it's like I agree. There's, there's just a lack of hunger in in the squad um and in the squad i mean i've got to mention them mctominay fred Oh, like oh. I have some confidence at least with Fred the fact that Casemiro I know you've mentioned like 30 year olds but I think uh-huh. the fact that this is a, a solid partnership that works well for their country they've only had they've only lost one match together I think I think that midfield going forward actually does work I, I know under obviously Fred's like 29 and Casemiro's Casemiro's 30 but at least for now until we continue to add younger better midfield players into the squad at least we've got two players to sit in I'm okay with us signing like every maybe like every transfer window I would I would like for example obviously we're linked with Anthony and Gakpo they're two talented young hungry wingers hungry players I would definitely sign them but I wouldn't mind signing say a 28 to 31 year old where it's experience like like just one not overly do it, but like maybe one or two a year that can fend a position, like if it's a goalkeeper or a midfielder, or even if it's just a striker, you know, as an experienced option. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't always sign a player of that of that bulk. I've got no issue with age, but I wouldn't overly do it. I would have like just one, one every year. It's good to have one experienced player every year, provided you're providing the bulk of exactly as you've mentioned, young hungry team, like young hungry players to build a team around. I do agree with you. I see what you're saying. Um... Yeah, Casemiro, he's, I mean, he's a lot better than what you've got. Um, so that that would be an upgrade. But, you know, for for the next year, maybe. And then you're stuck with a an expensive, mature player who might not want to sit on the bench. And I don't know, again, it's short-termism in my opinion. But I agree. Um, yeah, I would look for, I don't know, the next 
the next Casemiro. Um, but uh, it's not up to us. What also isn't up to us is uh, the the lineups. Um, will you take heart from Liverpool not being able to field uh, Thiago, Konate, Jean Matip, three major names who are out? Um, who else have we got? Who's out? We've got uh, Darwin, of course, after his ridiculous, uh, you know, dumb fuckery. Uh, and you know, I don't know. Are you taking are you taking any any heart from the fact that Liverpool will be a little bit weakened? I think because you are a little bit weakened, I think we can have a little bit of confidence. But I don't think there's too much. I don't think we're going to get beat. I've like I was on a I was on a prediction show on like on the weekly armchair just before this, and I went with two two draw. Personally, I think two two. Okay. I think best case scenario is we get a draw. I don't think we are. I don't think we're there yet to win. I, I don't think we. I want us to beat Liverpool. Obviously, I want us to get the form going. But a recent form in games like these, like bar the preseason game, like a recent form, it just hasn't been great in the domestic matches where for me it matters most. It's just it hasn't been it hasn't been great. And if anything, I would take a draw just to get a start going. But I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens on Monday. I'm. A cause for concern really about where we actually about what where we end up and what actually happens but I'm thinking it'll be after Liverpool I do think we will start to see things in terms of the team improve obviously with Southampton but obviously I'm not looking to Southampton I'm looking at Liverpool and I'm thinking on the back of it I hope we don't get beat but I don't think we win I, I, I think a draw is more or less our best case scenario Okay and what would the team be then obviously De Gea in goal would it be? Do you reckon he'll go with uh, Dallow? And as you say, um, Varane. I mean, I don't know. What, what do you think he will? He would go with not not what you think you would do because I know that you know. I think he'll go with De Gea, Dallow, Varane, Martinez, Shaw. I think he'll go make Fred in midfield. I think he might play Eriksen in the number ten role, and then I think he's front three. Might be Ronaldo, Sancho, Rashford, which is not what I would do, to be honest. Okay. Well, what would you do? I would do Tom Heaton, Wambasaka, Varan, okay. Martinez, Malasia. I would do. I, I would at the moment because it's the only option we've got. I would still play Fred and McTominay in midfield just for this game. I would play Ericsson in the ten role. I'd play Martial as the striker. I'd play Sancho on the right. And I would play Garnacho as the left winger. I think Ronaldo's situation for a good player he is, is dominating the circumstances of the club right now. Rashford is in very poor form. He shouldn't be starting. Fernandez, I absolutely adore him, but he's similar circumstances and very poor form. is dominating on the field. With, he's more aggressive arguing with the referee than he is trying to score goals like for as good as I, I enjoy watching him play it's a dominating factor Luke Shaw's in very poor form Maguire's in poor form I dropped them both Dallow hasn't done enough and obviously like De Gea is just it doesn't look like he's willing to adapt at least Tom Heaton's comfortable with his feet and he does actually come out he done that really well with Aston Villa I think I would rather do that personally that would be what I prefer but I think he's going to go with tried and trusted to show them up, I think he's putting. I think he's putting the tried and trusted there just to show them up in the sense that, like, if you don't do against Liverpool, well, I've already got one player coming in who's who will go straight into my midfield. We're already looking at wingers who will go straight into the into the team. I think he's basically saying if you don't step up, there are players that are coming in that will show you up for who you are. 
I think it's a dangerous road to go down, though, with, uh, I mean, uh, David Moyes tried it back in the day, you know, saying publicly, you're, you're, you're playing for your careers. And, you know, he was out the door way, way before uh, a sure. lot of his players were. Um, I think oh, yeah, it could be it could be a dangerous, a dangerous way. I mean, I think with Jurgen Klopp, when he took over, I mean, his first uh, lineup, you know, his, his first squad, I mean, he had... Players like Nathaniel Klein are pretty good, but whenever he was whenever he was asked asked about any of his players, always positive, always yeah, he's a great player. You know, there's a wonderful player there if he can show yeah. his talent on the field, and you know, consequently the players responded to that, and you know, with with the positivity, and I and I just think if if Den Hag starts being a bit negative and saying, well, you know, basically yeah, you you're playing for your your United career, it just leads to like people feeling yeah. like under even more pressure than they did. I think, he's, mm-hmm. I think the way he's handled it in press conferences though in his um, post-matches is he has been he has been fair to the players but he has criticised like where they've went wrong and he's trying to find ways where they can improve. Like he hasn't evaded the, the goalkeeper situation. He hasn't evaded like the mark. He got asked stupidly by Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher which you'll see on Monday night, on Monday night on the interview. He was asked about Martinez's height which is ridiculous. Like you shouldn't be asking about a player about his height when if anything, Martinez wasn't at fault for the goal that Ben Mee scored either. Like, if anything, it was De Gea's position. Obviously, Maguire should have been covering Ben Mee. Martinez should have been ready to receive the ball and go. Like, it's it's little nitpicks like that where like he will defend his team, but also he will be he will stick to who he is. And that is, if he aren't playing the way he wants, he will he will criticize in that manner. But he will he will defend his players as well. So, like, I do get your point. What I don't want to see is I don't want to see players taking advantage of complacency, which they have done for so long, where they think they're just they're going to get in the team regardless. I don't think any player's position is safe. I think if I was McTominay and Fred, I'd be very, um, I'd be very concerned about my position. Obviously, with Casemiro coming in, if I was Bruno Fernandez with Eriksen, who's a fantastic midfield player. I'd be very concerned about my position. And if Anthony and Gakpo or either come in, if I was Rashford and Sancho, I'd also be concerned about my position because he knows them both really well, playing with them, playing against them. They go into his team. Like That's the one thing that matters to me is players need to step up, also realise complacency. should it, it should never be allowed at a football club. It's a really good answer. Thank you so much, Reese. And um, okay. Lester Till I Die TV is in the in the chat. Great to have you with us. He says, "Big up panel. This game could be interesting." Well, I hope from a neutral's point of view, from a Leicester point of view, I mean, it should be it should be madness for for for, mm. for everyone. To, I would say, I agree. Um, well worth a watch. And uh, great to have Alan in the chat as well. He says, "Ten Hag needs to have the balls to drop Maguire." Um, I think, in some ways. He's, it's a lot easier for him to drop Maguire than Solskjaer because he wasn't the one who paid the ridiculous fee for Maguire. I agree. So, you know, I, I would say he needs to do that sooner rather than later to show that he doesn't care about the price tag and he just cares about form, right? So I mean, Yeah. There are rumours yeah. that he is actually going to drop Maguire for Monday. Like, Maguire's a very good carry of the ball. I won't deny that, uh-huh. but yeah. my, my, my biggest fear of him is... Is his pace, and he gets caught out in very simple positions. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's something that shouldn't happen for supposed to be a top defender. Like he's yeah. billed as one of the top defenders for England, but that's because he's got players protecting him in a back three. Yeah, like, um, like in a back yeah. four, he's he's abject, and he and he is exposed by pace, and it's it's clear as day. 
Yeah, and it's not just pace. I mean, he, he makes sort of rookie mistakes sometimes. He does. You know? um, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's and he's, but he's, he's playing with all the pressure, like the whole weight of the world on his shoulders. And but you know, if, if Varane coming in for him, I mean, I don't watch all all the United games. I I, I probably watch more. Sorry, but just to see if you lose, um, you're probably naturally. With, same with, with me, obviously. Same yeah. with me, obviously. I hope, and, to hope you lose. I just look at this guy's scores now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and you know, if if you're losing, then I'll, then I'll tune into a United game right if I think you will lose, like against Brentford. I thought I thought you would, and, and yeah. so I watched from the start. So um, I've I've seen maybe I don't know ten or fifteen United matches in in the last year, let's say for example. Yeah. And whenever I've seen Varane, he looks like a player who's passed his best. Uh, you mentioned pace. He's he's quicker than Maguire a bit, but he's not that quick either. I don't know. Are there, what, are there, what, can you see it as a big upgrade? Like what, what, what does he bring to the team that Maguire doesn't have? I think the one thing that he does bring better than, than Maguire, always, apart from pace, is when he does come forward off the ball, he is actually, I think, I think he is better reading the game than Maguire is. I think he is better at tracking a defender's run positioning-wise so he can organise his fullback. I think he's got better communication with his fullback rather than Maguire. I think if Maguire's on the left, he's got better communication with Shaw. But then again, Shaw isn't particularly good a player either. So like, I think one thing we do need is a stable back four. Having Casemiro in front when he comes in eventually, you've got a goalkeeper that's competent. Like David David Rea is another fantastic example from Brentford. He'd be a brilliant acquisition if United tried to sign him, but we would get we would get priced out. Like him or Sanchez from Brighton are two good examples in the league that understand the role that are that are good enough to come in. You have that. I think Maguire. If Maguire had Dean Henderson in defence, he knows that Henderson would chase the ball to come out and try and clear it, and it would give Maguire confidence. I think, but I hate the fact that people say that Maguire's not confident. Like with De Gea, I think I think players pick and choose who's behind them. I think regardless of that, you sh- it doesn't matter who she's behind you. If if De Gea's not playing, in, if De Gea's playing in goal, stay ten yards back if you don't have the pace. If Henderson's playing, then stay the fifteen yards forward. I think I think he deliberately picks and chooses, and then obviously the brunt goes on one player, not the other. Whereas I look to both, and I'm like, well, you're picking and choosing. And that's my that's my thing. You don't see him doing it for England either. Like he's he knows he can do the fifteen yards because Jordan Pickford plays like he's prime Manuel Neuer. Like he does he does the same circumstance. I think I think he deliberately picks and chooses. And obviously, people jump on the bandwagon over modern goalkeeper, not modern goalkeeper, good defender, not good defender. Personally, I wouldn't have either on my team. I wouldn't, but it's just circumstance of the situation. But at least Varane, I think, is a better tracker of the ball than. Aguirre is. I think he's a much better tracker. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that's a really good answer, and it'll be it'll be very interesting to see mm-hmm. what happens. I mean, if you get a two-two draw, one point from 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 three matches is a uh, still poor. Yeah. It's still poor. If uh, Liverpool would have three points from three matches, um, you know, it would be extremely. It would take a gargantuan effort. Uh, I would say we'd need to win the next. Um, seven games to stay within six points of City but um, you know we've got it all all to look forward to we never know what's going to happen in football Um, and 
about the protests, I was just wondering, though, just a final question. Do you think that there's a chance the game will be called off? Do you think they'll be that big, the protests? No, it won't get called off. It'll be, it'll be like the, the protests that have been going on lately, where they, they will continuously protest before the game, and then the fans will go in and they will they will still protest within the stadium, but they will hold up banners, like get the media attention. So obviously it happened against Brentford. The Glazers out signs were, were shown on TV. I don't think the game will get called off. I think that was, in the circumstances, obviously I wanted to watch the game at the time, but obviously in, in the manner of speaking, like getting the game called off was a big telling because obviously it, the media attention skyrocketed from then. I don't think you'll ever see a game called off like that again, but what you will see is the fans will not stop. Like, doesn't matter who we sign, like it's great that we're strengthening our squad, but the same focus is we still want the owners out no matter what. It's never going to change. But yeah, I don't see the game getting called off. No, I don't. Well, in that case, um, we shall we shall uh, look forward to it with uh, varying senses of, of, of trepidation and wonder and intrigue. Uh, thank you very much, Reese. Um, My pleasure. Is there anything you would like to, to, to mention before we go that we haven't mentioned yet, you know, in terms of uh, what you're up to these days or, you know? Um, well, for me, obviously, it's working away doing like doing my own YouTube stuff. I am live in a couple hours on, like I said, the weekly Armchair Sports Talk. I've got my own little podcast on there at three o'clock, um, which is good. But it's not actually talking about football. I, I like other sports. So I'll be talking other things. Um, but most of all, it's just like enjoying life. I'm just enjoying life a lot more. Like, I'm not. I'm still involved in the YouTube scene, but I'm not as like. I'm not heavily involved on shows. Like I'm very rarely around, but it's, I'm still supporting in live chats. I'm still trying to help channels grow. Um, and I like doing things that Taylor made to me. It doesn't matter who you support. If you if you come across as a person like yourself, we've gotten really well for so long. It's There's always something behind the channel. If, if, if I feel that it relates to me, even if it's not the team I support, it's just good like-minded people talking about the sport I love, then I will enjoy it. And that's why we've got such a good connection. And same with Doug and all that. And it's something I enjoy. So yeah, I've, I'm always privileged to come on a channel like this, even though it's even though I'm in the enemy territory, as I've always said on your show. I'm always <laughs> I'm always in enemy territory, but no, I, do, I do enjoy. I do enjoy coming on with you. I do enjoy it, it. So thank you for having me. So good. No, it's so good. It's always great to have your have your opinion. I mean, there's too much hatred in this world and to have, you know, some people take it so seriously to have hatred about football. Come on, get a life. Exactly. We can all get on. And we can all, you know, laugh when each other loses, and that's okay. You'll you'll laugh if, uh, you know, if Virgil Van Dyke scores an own goal, for example. You'll be exactly. Be, I would and, 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 and you know, you, it it helps make football better if we have rivalry between teams, and uh, you know, we, we actually, you know, can inspire each other to be better at times as well. So I agree. Thank you very much, Reese. Have a great day, my friend. And you too. Uh, it's been a, an absolute pleasure. And uh, thanks to everyone watching. Uh, I think the sound has worked uh, for once this time on the brand new Cop On YouTube channel. Do check it out, everybody. Yeah, because uh, it took me ages and I'm knackered from staying up till 3 a.m. trying to put it all together. <laughs> Give this guy a subscribe. Genuine <laughs> down to heart. Genuine down to earth guy. Give him a subscribe, honestly. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, so take care. Speak to you soon. Thank you Absolutely. very much. Absolutely. Bye-bye.